AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girlbomb. Girlbomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girlbomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self-care. So to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girlbomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hello, and welcome to episode 280. Coming up, we will talk to Don McClain. He sings, bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. The music died. Come on, everybody. We were singing, bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. You want to hear Bob Dylan do that song? Yeah, go ahead. Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. <laughs> Throw my Chevy to the levee, and it wasn't dry. Yeah, see? Yeah, close. <laughs> uh, I talked to Don McClain coming up. He is a he's a sassy old man. <laughs> I like him because I know what I'm going to get from him. But he's definitely, as he wants you to know, more than just American Pie. Mm-hmm. But we were talking to him because it's the 50th anniversary of the song American Pie. The day the music died was actually in the 60s, right? 60s, yes. The, he wrote That was the, what he wrote about. But the song came out in 71, so we're 50 years out. Um, so, ba-da-da, that's on the way. We'll talk to Scuba Steve, who is my executive radio producer, who I just am slowly finding more and more out about him. So I just wanted to put him in here, talk to him. Eddie will be here, too. Do a little interview with Scuba Steve. Maybe you guys get to know him a little better. Maybe I'll get to know him a little better. <laughs> I mean, I know him a little bit, but he moved here in the pandemic. Yeah. Not like we're hanging out a bunch. We see each other at work, and I walk in, and I'm like, all right, what's playing? Got it. Here's what I'm doing. Got it. All right, go. And every second, there's rarely a free minute from when I get there until time to go home. Because I do feel like I am extremely efficient with time. Mm-hmm. Even if I have a minute and 20, I'm going to do a minute commercial in that minute and 20. So we're not just hanging around chumming it up. But I do like Scuba Steve. He's come over to play basketball before. Uh, we'll talk to him. We'll also do... Eddie and I will talk about the day the music died. This is kind of Eddie and Bobby's music school. Uh, as always, we'll get to Tuesday's uh, top five songs. Uh, no, there's a no, no, no. As always, the new music top five. At number five this week, songs I'm most excited about. Temecula Road has a new song out called Everything I Love. Yeah. Everything 
At number four, Brooke Eden, who I like a lot, who's a great singer, who came out and opened some shows for me in the infancy of my comedy days. Oh, really? Yeah, that's when I first started to tour comedy. She came out and did some shows. She's fantastic. It's her first song in four years. It's called No Shade. Here's a clip. Foo Fighters have a new album out called Medicine at Midnight. It's their 10th full-length studio album. It features their number one, Shame, Shame. And here's a new song called No Son of Mine. Our guy Matt Stell has a new song out called That Ain't Me No More. Here's a clip of that. Somebody's got her in their shirt. Somebody's texting her at work. Somebody's got a picture on their dash. Somebody's going fishing with her dash. And the number one song that I'm looking forward to this week, Dan and Shay have a new song out called Glad You Exist. Here you go. It's every high and every low to this. I'm just so glad you exist. Album's out this weekend. Well, The weekend. it's a new compilation. The Weather Station, Nancy Sinatra. What do you know Nancy Sinatra from? Frank Sinatra? Mm-mm. I mean, sure. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. And one of these days, these boots are going to walk all over you. I'd Google that. Okay. But I'm almost positive. Uh, not a lot. Listen, people aren't putting out a bunch of records. Hey, Eddie just walked in. Turn his mic yo, up. Yo, yo. There he is. I, I would have said the same thing. Frank Sinatra is the daughter? Daughter of Frank Sinatra. Boom. Does she do? Yeah, she does that. These boots are made for walking? I'm, I'm positive. Looking at it now. She has number one called Something Stupid Uh-oh. and the signature hit, These yes. Boots Are Made hey. for Walking. <laughs> 1965. You got scared there for a second? Well, I just feel like I'm wrong a lot. So when I am, I at least like to acknowledge it now yeah. rather than get beat up in my DMs because that happens too. And when it does, I deserve it. Uh, in music news, well, the Morgan Wallen situation. No, I didn't hear about it. What happened? If I don't at least acknowledge it. We talked about it a lot on the show. I've talked about it a bunch. Um yeah, just a terrible situation. We'll move on from that one. Uh, T.J. Osborne, lead singer of Brothers Osborne, opened up about being gay in country music. Same day. Yeah. Those story. Well, the Morgan Wallen story had come out the night before. I remember reading it and going, ooh, that is bad. And then I watched the video and went, ooh. And then I talked about it on the show. I don't have any notes. People think I went in there prepared. There was a caller that asked me, and I was like, well, let me talk about it. And it's always a slippery slope to go down because if you talk about race, sexuality, religion, there are these things you can talk about with opinion, but it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to get beat up from a sure. side. And I took, I took some lickings. Yeah. But I do still stand by everything I said there. And my point is we finished the show, and then I saw the TJ Osborne story come out right after that. And I thought, dang, TJ can't even really have his full day because he's being overshadowed by a different story. And maybe he didn't care about that. But there was a lot of love for TJ. As I've known TJ for a while, I've known he's been gay. I'm super pumped that he's able to be out and be himself. And he's just the, he's just the best. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with his sexuality, but I just want the people that I know that are good folks to be able to live their, their best version of their life. That's right. So 
That is freaking awesome. He told Time Magazine, I did not know. I just saw it pop up my Twitter feed, and I was like, that is what I'm talking about. And he even posted a message to kind of follow up on I it. I didn't see that. I mean, I saw it, but I never. I didn't hit And just the smile on his face, and you can just tell how relieved he is, and you can't help but feel so happy for him. Uh, over to the Morgan Wallen thing real quick. His recording contract with Big Loud Records has been indefinitely suspended. That was Nothing is going to happen there sure. for a long time. If again, but for a long time. He's got a lot to work on, get right, a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he doesn't, then he'll never get back. So, but and, again, w- and what a waste that would be. So hopefully he gets better. Uh, the weekend is staying in style ahead of this Sunday's Super Bowl halftime show. He rented a six-bedroom mansion with a pool and a private dock. Oh boy. Place is worth $9 million. He's paying $100,000 to rent it. Hmm. wonder how much he's getting paid for the performance. You don't get paid for the Super Bowl. Oh! You pay out of your pocket. What? I believe he paid $7 million. Yeah. They oh pay a my. little bit of production cost, but yeah, you don't get paid. Yeah, no, no. That's all promo. That's interesting. That's the promo. That's the <laughs> promo of Super Bowl that's performance. That's the promo. Uh, Rodeo Houston's been canceled. Last year, I think they got off a couple of shows before yeah. COVID. This year, they had right to that time. cancel yeah. it all the way through. Stagecoach canceled. No new dates have been announced. I think this has a shot to happen in the fall. But you're going to see, con- speaking of Paloozas, you're going to see Concert Palooza oh, yeah. happening as soon as you can get back. Oh, sure. They're going to be 10 shows. The, the <laughs> sit-go is going to have Garth playing because there aren't going to be enough venues for everybody. The Diamond Shamrock. Yeah. Marathon Gas is going to have McGraw doing the hits over there because they don't have enough stages. And everyone's going to go, too. Yeah, They'll we're come in the triples. I'm going to buy five, five different tickets for five shows that night. You know how they do pub crawls? Yes. I'm going to do concert crawls. <laughs> Maybe they'll schedule some stuff earlier on weekends, like a 3 p.m. show. Oh, that just oh. for you? Well, no, on weekends so you can get in multiple shows. When we used to do double shows, because we would sell out of theater as the Raging Idiots, yeah. and we'd go, dang, we sold out this show in three minutes. It was a 2,000-seat theater, and we were going to do a Saturday at 7 p.m. We were like, we can get to town early and do mm-hmm. one at 2. Yeah. Dude, there's no doubt we're going to be that thirsty for live music. No doubt. <laughs> I, it'll transition into it. You know, they're not... There's not just going to be a day where they lift the dam and the water comes sure. rushing in. That would be bad. But there will be a, a day when they, just a little, just a little, mm. just a little, and then eventually we'll get back there. Yeah. Uh, Garth Brooks Vegas show is rescheduled again. God love Garth. He's just continuing to kick it back a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, Silento has broken his silence. Crazy. Watch me whip. Watch me nay nay. Kill it. Did he murder somebody? Did you just come up with that? That was a terrible one. Uh, Scuba Steve's coming in a minute. He's texting me right now. Okay. He may be outside. If I, I saw, I let his truck in. If you want to just leave that down, I'll just keep talking. Okay. I'll tell him right now. Okay, Mike D's going to walk up there and get you. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming in in a minute. There he is, Scuba Steve. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Silento breaks his silence. He's asking that fans continue to support and uplift him while he remains a suspect in the murder of his cousin. So still an ongoing investigation, but they've named him a suspect? He's being held in at? a Georgia jail without bond. Mm. How old is he now? Because he sounds really young in that song. I would imagine he's 25 or so. Okay. Oh, right? yeah, Mike left. Sorry. No, no Google no at, our, at our fingertips. Let me see. I mean, I feel Silento like when, when they sang age. that song, they were like little kids. So he's I'm 23. 23. <laughs> mm. And if he did it, and they think he did, he'll spend his life in jail. All yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Especially it was his cousin too, huh? Mm-hmm. What That's what you that? just said. 
Uh, okay. Uh, Eddie did a walk-in. Bobby and Eddie's music school coming up. Obviously, we're going to talk to our guy. W- wasn't he a treat? You know, I enjoyed that. I mean, definitely a legendish kind of person where you just sit and you don't give a crap uh-huh. about what anyone says to you. A little or, sass. For sure. I mean, that's yeah. kind of just someone who's lived a full life, man. That's how they act. It's coming up the day the music died. Mr. Bye Bye American Pie. He'll be on in just a second. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I in our studio at home with Scuba Steve. It's Eddie scuba and myself and for a while when i first started to do this podcast i was putting people on the show radio show on and i just put them on so people could get to know them it's really before we dialed into just being music right we're putting anybody on just calling it a bobby i did one yeah but people like to get to know members of the show better and then i thought and i was talking to mike about it i said you know scuba moved here during a pandemic Mm -hmm. so nobody really hangs out like you come over to play basketball had you ever hung out with scuba uh no not outside of work that's, mm. that's what I'm saying. Uh, your Christmas party, what, last last year? year ago, oh, yeah. yeah, not pandemic, but yeah. right when you moved. I guess you moved here right before the pandemic. It was like two, three months before the pandemic, yeah, and then it just all shut down. Yeah, I guess we're douches for not hanging out with them those two yeah. months. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he was, he was getting situated. He was getting situated. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Anyway. That gun thing you're going to teach me one of these days too, right? Mm. Yeah, that's coming. Um, so, 
I thought, why not have Scuba in? Eddie and I can ask you some questions. Okay. We can get to know you a little better. All right, cool. And move on with our lives. <laughs> <laughs> He's very interesting. So, like, I would say as soon as we're done recording, you know, with the Bobby Bones show and everything, everything we do for the rest of the day, it's usually just me and Scuba left for, like, two hours after everyone's gone. So we've got to know each other pretty well. What are yeah. you doing for two hours? Videos, man. Okay. I got a list of yeah. videos that I need to do. And then when I'm done with that, I go home and then Scuba's there for another four hours. So well, sometimes Scuba hit me up in the afternoon at work and I'm like, did you go back to work? Because no, I haven't left work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just, by the way, Scuba Steve is our executive producer on the show. He's the guy pulling all the strings, lining things up, making decisions. He's the guy that is doing the work that you don't know who's doing the work. I get all the credit. And I should, mm -hmm. but there's also scuba, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally fine with that. That's the um, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally not kidding. But um, <laughs> uh, so you you are the executive producer. How would you describe your job? I like like you said, jack of all trades, managing the team behind the scenes, uh, making sure everyone's in line, uh, put, booking the guests, dealing. One thing I didn't realize is it's part of my job that I didn't get into until this happened was sales. There is so much sales involved with this. You get the emails daily of sales requests. Uh, there's a lot of things you don't get because I handle it before it even gets to you or just cancel it before it even gets to you. Uh, request, ridiculous request. Uh, What's a ridiculous request without saying anything exactly? Like what is something, and I'm putting you on the spot here, so I'm going yeah. to vamp for a second while you think. Okay. I know you get a lot of things sent to you or a lot of asks from local sales or local sales from all over the country, and you go, I, I'm not even going to take that to Bobby because I know he's going to say no. Nice. Can you give me an example? Well, I won't say the brands, but there's some brands that just don't fit you and your personality, like which wouldn't sell you cigarettes, like uh -huh. something like that. Pecker pills. <laughs> Pecker pills. <laughs> no, those go straight to you. And then wanting you to post about it on social and do a video about it. Yeah. And like, we're not going to do that. Or before the pandemic was a lot of travel, and we don't have time to travel because we're doing the show daily. Yeah. Um, a lot of those kind of things. Or, or lowball offers that don't fit what you should be paid for. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Do you know, though, I don't get paid for national spots? Yeah, I don't think anyone does. So I'm sorry. I don't. Yeah. Did you know that? I knew that, yeah. I knew there's, there's, <laughs> there's a percentage of like a pool somewhere that gets pulled. Sort of, but I don't get paid per commercial. Or if I go, yeah, I'll take it, oh, it'll only come to me. It's more for the company yeah. than anything. You're being a company guy by taking the, the national spot. I'm being a show guy because if our show makes money, they can pay these fat salaries like Eddie's. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it is. Like The more money the show makes, the better we all look. And the local spots is where you make the money in your pocket. Correct. Yeah, but it's always like in a small market, it's like 30 bucks. You know, I can do the same yeah. spot in three different places. And depending on how big the city is, it's a different rate for each spot. So if I do Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I may make $30 for that. I'm just making up numbers here. Yeah. Um, if I do Madison, Wisconsin or Little Rock, kind of a middle-ish market, I can make 80 or $90. Or if I do Seattle... They could pay me 300 bucks for a 60-second read. So Tupelo could get Bobby Bones, American Idol Bobby Bones, like, for like do $30? Them. And I do them. That's legit. Yeah. It's per market size, basically. There's a rate for each market. You're, you're also in that rate card, yeah. too. You, Lunchbox, Amy, yeah, everyone's on there. No, no, no. They don't. I never get asked. They, actually, they, they really don't want to ask, to be honest. It's usually Bobby first, and then Bobby says no, then well, it's Amy, and Amy says no. $30. It's yeah. steal. My point is. I wouldn't get me. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, that's good. There, but I don't say no to small markets just because they're a small market. Not at all. No, no. I'll say no if it doesn't fit. Like we talked yes. about earlier. So I'm kind of the bad guy in this. So, and I don't mind being that bad guy. I'll play the bad cop. 
and handle that side for you so you don't have to even ever deal with it. Um, There's a furniture store in Auburn, Indiana that I've been doing for like four years. I think I might pay them to do their spots. Probably. But I'm so loyal to them. They came on early, and I'm like, let's go. Yeah, cool. I think it's Vans Furniture, yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, they're still all around. They love you. Right off State Road 8, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I, yeah. know, I know all about it. But people. <laughs> they're great people, though. Some yeah. of those small markets, are, they're good, genuine people, and they just like to be a part of the show. And, if, so, and I can't hate on that. If I got into this for money, I wouldn't be here. That was true. There were, there were times when we would do Raging Idiots and we would do meet and greets and somebody from those small markets would come and they own the furniture store and Bobby would be like, oh my gosh, you're Greg? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Get you a chair without no word. <laughs> and it would. I kind of treat them like they were celebrities because yeah, to me, I'm doing their commercials and never see their face. I remember yeah. that. Or I would go somewhere and see someone I would do like a real estate commercial in like Virginia Beach. And I'm like, Lonnie Bush! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lonnie Bush Realty! This is crazy! <laughs> so I think I was geeking out harder than they were geeking out on me. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's your job. But let's go back, way back. Um, but, and I'll say this. I got you, and we'll get here in a second. I end up, ended up hiring you from Ryan Seacrest. Yes, yeah. That's where you were before me. Mm-hmm. We will get back around to there. Okay. But first, let's start with Scuba Steve's life. Where'd yeah. you grow up? I grew up in Orlando, Florida, a small town called Oviedo. In Orlando? Is that considered Orlando? Well, like it's like when you live anywhere else, like San Francisco. You're not really from San Francisco. You're from a suburb of that. So Orlando is the larger city, but Oviedo is where I was born and raised. We'll take turns. Let's, let's um, back and forth on questions. Okay. Try to stay in somewhat line, but if you don't, that's okay. Okay. You want to go now or you need another one? You know, now. Well, go ahead. Where I'm from? No, no, I don't care about you. I'm my, yeah, I'm my, like, round table. I no. love this. No. Macallan, Texas, the River Randy Valley. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> no, wait, this is about scuba. Yes, yes, yes. It's about me you? right now. Okay, when was your first girlfriend? First girlfriend was kindergarten. Not, what? No, <laughs> it's not a real girlfriend. First real girlfriend, then that would probably be Stacy in fifth grade. <laughs> Bones? Okay, so you grow up in Orlando. <laughs> yes. As you were getting older, what was it that you wanted to do for your life? Like when you're 16, 17, having to start to make those decisions? Um, I think at that point, I was like, okay, I definitely want to do something in entertainment. You did? Yeah, because I grew up in Orlando where Nickelodeon was huge. Nickelodeon Studios was located right there on Universal Lot. I wanted something to do with acting or producing, directing of some sort. Always television, always film. From day, even to this day, it's what I, that's still one of my long-term goals is that. So I wanted to go for that. I wanted to leave Orlando and move to Hollywood. Um, but that didn't work out for a while. I got into like a bunch of you know mediocre jobs, landscaping, uh, things like that, and then eventually made the move to come out to California. So you're hustling in Orlando, not in media, but just trying to make enough money to pay rent yes, and yeah. the bills. Correct. And you hadn't at least dabbled in the Orlando media world before you went to L.A.? Uh, yeah, because so when I was about 18, 19, I started getting into radio. Uh, but How? So I met somebody at uh, a club event in Orlando. XL. Why are you being fishy about this? You met somebody. Did something happen where he just clicked and said, I should just I saw somebody. the smile. Did you? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, there's a couple things that happened. One, I went to, one, I went to this, um, this, I tried it out, this uh, radio school called Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I've heard of it. And it's literally the biggest load of crap. Okay. And, <laughs> I don't know that that's true, but you did it and you didn't like it. I didn't. Yes. You can see on the news of some things that have happened at that okay. school. Anyways, yeah, I went there. And it wasn't and, in Connecticut. 
It wasn't in Connecticut. It was located in Orlando. They had locations across the country, but Connecticut was where it was originally based. And they promised you this whole, hey, if you come here, we're gonna, you're going to learn from the all-stars in the industry, and they're going to hook you up. There were no all-stars in the industry that were there. It was a bunch of people that didn't really make it themselves either. And they taught you on equipment that wasn't really what they were using at the radio stations and in television in general. Um, so I went there for a few months, and then I met somebody out and about. So let me pause. You went there... That was your very first step. You knew you wanted to do it. So yeah. you go and you pay money? Yes. How much money? It was, I think it was $1,000 a month. And it was, a, it was an ad a that I heard on, on the radio. Because I was like, oh, I was listening to the radio. I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to get on the radio. This is how you do it. So I figured this is my chance, my shot to get in. So I went there and paid that fee for per month. And while I was there, learned the tools and met somebody along the way who was like, hey, uh, I work for a radio station locally in Orlando here. I think, uh, you know, you got some chops. Let's bring you in. Meet the host. What chops did you have at, at Connecticut School of Broadcasting? I guess the, 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 I was always on time. I was there That's early. The chop. That's the choppiest of chops, honestly. Yeah. Okay. So, so, okay, you want to do that? Did you have a tape that you gave them? Um, he heard me record some stuff in front of him. He was one of the guys that was, I came in every once in a while. Wasn't one of the main teachers. So, like an adjunct professor at Connecticut School of Broadcasting? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And... Go ahead, sorry. No, I'm just trying to walk through this with you. I know Eddie's got 19 questions. Like, no, no, no. what's your favorite color? Please go ahead. <laughs> Please go ahead. That was one of them. <laughs> so go ahead, Bones. We'll save that one for later. <laughs> so, so you're doing what at this school? Do they give you sheets to read? And are you trying to be a newscaster? Or are they going, you're going to do commercials? It's both. So they, there's a radio side and a television side. The radio side is... You know, showing how to work their board and how to talk up a song and how to record a commercial. And the people that were teaching you were just DJs that didn't work out. Most I, of them, yeah. And I say DJs. Like, I don't feel like I'm a DJ. And in either way, I don't mix music, and I didn't get into this business to play music. Will there be a few songs to play while I'm on the air? Yeah. But I don't care. Like, I like the music format I picked to be in was country because I felt like that was the lifestyle group I could most relate to. But... If they were like, hey, come do polka, you'll never hear the song. We're just going to put some polka on. I'd be like, great, let's go. As long as I can be me, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. So you, you were working with DJs who talked up music songs. Yes, yeah. And, and that was your goal. And that was what they were trying to teach us was how to do that. Okay. And how to record basically the basics of radio. Do you still have that? Hey, Mike, get a song up. Let's see if Scuba can hit a, a post from Connecticut School of Broadcasting. All right, here he is. Oh, hold on. Let's, let's give him a second. You know what hitting a post is, right? Yeah, we, we hit it right before the, the, the vocals come in. Mike has given you the hardest song. No, that's it's good. Like a, that, that's like a 37-second yeah, intro. Like, you got to tell a lot run. to fill. <laughs> you can tell your whole background here. <laughs> is that what you want to do? Yeah. All right, go in three, two, one. So when I hear this song, it reminds me of my father. And we used to hang out by the pool a lot. And he would be like, hey, son, grab me that beer over there. So I grabbed him the beer. He's like, that screwdriver next to you, take that too. All right, on the count of three, I want you to pop the bottom. So I'd pop the bottom, throw it to him. He'd drink it as fast as he can, and he'd shotgun it. And that was the first time I learned how to shotgun a beer at the age of nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, uh, by the way, we have some tickets to give away in 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> he was running out of time. Okay. <laughs> oh, shoot. What I really have to say. I give that... A solid C plus though, and you yeah. came in raw. Yeah, you still you hit the post. You had to rush it a little bit. Yeah. Story, story. Oh, look at these coming I like that. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Uh, so you learned how to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That who kind of did stuff. you meet? What person? I met a guy named Alex, who was the who eventually got me into the building at Clear Channel in Orlando, Florida. Was he on the air? 
he was the morning show producer for the morning show at XL. Is he still producing there? He is not. He got cut in 09 when they had all those massive cuts. So he's not in radio anymore. He's in radio, but he's doing smaller roles within Orlando. Okay, so you're now in the building. What do you do at XL in Orlando? So at first I was an intern, so I had to use that CSB that I had as my paperwork for going to school. Did you graduate? Uh, I left before graduation, which really pissed them off because they didn't, they didn't get credit for me getting this internship. There's a lot of a lot of because they, they basically their whole goal was to get somebody in there and then get credit to say, hey, X, Y, Z went to the school and look at them now. And they were really pissed that I left before graduation, didn't fulfill the, the, the curriculum because I was like, I don't need this. I met this guy. He's going to get me and I got an internship. See you later. This is what I needed. Huh. So they want you in so they can say, look what we did and get more money for the next person. Yes. So they can get through and say, look what we did, and to keep that going. Keep that bio on the website. of like, these are all our people that, go, yeah. that went to the school, and here they are now. Are you on the website now? No, they hate me. They, they want nothing to do with me. What, you, so you're an intern? And you, yes. had, you have to have some way to prove that you're in school when you're an intern. Yes, yeah, so I need a paperwork. Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Yes. Okay. I use that. Uh, Michael Bryan was my PD. Who uh, was the PD at the lo- our local affiliate in Nashville when I moved here. Correct. Yeah. yeah. He was the PD. That's my first run into him. And I was the intern there at XL, and I did that for about a good four or five months. Kind of played the sixth man on the show, did all the behind the scenes. Was it crazy to be on the air, though, even, even though you weren't getting paid? Like, was your life a little different because people started to think you were kind of famous? Oh, when I would go downtown to Orlando, as an intern, you'd go to the club, and they would go, oh, it's Scuba Steve from the Johnny J Morning Show. And it was the coolest thing for me because I was in my hometown, and I was this small local celebrity. So for me, I got a lot of clout with my friends. Free drinks, free entrances to clubs. All well, that kind let of me stuff. mention Scuba Steve then, because it sounds like that was already your name. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. As an intern, they named you Scuba Steve. Yeah, birth name Steven, and then Big Daddy was a popular movie at the time, and they just named me Scuba Steve, and I just rolled with it. Ever been scuba diving? Never, huh. never in my life. Do you have an interest? No, my my wife's father passed scuba diving, so I have no interest in scuba diving whatsoever. Your wife's father died while scuba diving? Yeah, on the, they were on some vacation back when she was a kid. And uh, he went scuba diving, and I've just I've had fe- I've had a fear of it in general. But when she told me that, I was like, I'm definitely not scuba diving ever. Whoa. The irony for her. Now think <laughs> about this. Mm-hmm. And by the way, lovely. Yeah, I think your wife is lovely. Thank you. She's got this dad. He goes scuba diving. Unfortunately, passes away. Well, it's time for her to live our life now as an adult. Mm-hmm. She meets a guy. His name is Scuba, scuba Steve, <laughs> and has to think about that right? every day. Everything was manifested in some weird way. Wow, that would be like your grandpa getting hit by a train. You meet a guy named Choo Choo McGee. Yeah. <laughs> Every you're like, day. You're like, I'm going to marry Choo Choo. <laughs> God dang, man. And it, was, it was a very weird coincidence. <laughs> okay, so you're interning there. Mm-hmm. When does it turn into a real job and what's the real job? So I'm interning there. They do all those massive cuts in 2009. And I was one of those that was, because uh, I, I got brought on part-time for a little bit after the internship. They cut me because they cut all part-timers. Uh, but then I met a guy on my way out named Rick Everett. He's the PD at the rock station there. And he's like, hey, look, man, just hang tight. I got something for you in the works. You know, we'll get something on the books for you in the, in the next couple months. So I kind of just, I took his word. I waited a couple months. He hit What'd me back. What did you do during that two months? I was applying at every radio station across the country, from Canada down to Mexico. Were you also doing a job, though, to make rent? No, that's when I was living with my ex-wife. Who was paying rent. Who was paying rent and paying for everything. And Who we found out on the radio show cheated on him, and he found out on Ashley Madison. Go listen to the Bobby cast. No, go listen one. to the Bobby Bone show on Thursday. Mm-hmm. That was when that was? We talked yes, about that? Thursday, yeah. Man, I feel bad about that one. No, I don't. No, it's it okay. Not at all. Great story, though. Jeez. I can't believe he's Scuba Steve. 
I would have dropped that when I met your wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd have been like stunning Steve. Not him though. <laughs> or spatula Steve. I just wouldn't have stayed with scuba Steve when your wife's dad died scuba diving. Yeah. Yeah. She was, I guess she was fine with it. She doesn't have a problem. So have you ever asked her that? Um, I, I just assume. <laughs> I assume she's fine with it. I've never really brought it up. I mean, it was mentioned to me that that happened. I didn't, oh my god! Yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's probably something you need mm-hmm. to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh? Does she ever call you scuba? Never. No. I'm just. I'm just. <laughs> never. No ever. way. <laughs> Is she comfortable with you talking about that? Yeah, totally. So, I think the people on the radio show would be blown away at that story, and not in like a funny way, but yeah, and not you know, isn't it ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> Can I bring that up on the show next week? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want your wife to be upset. No, it's been a long time. Her father passed when she was twelve, so it's also been a a very very long Unbelievable. time. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you're working part time at the rock station. Is that what they hired you on to do? So then he brings me back, and then that's what it is. It's two things. One, he needs help launching a sports station. So I, that was pretty much my main priority was to help get the station launched, run it, do everything for it. production, run the board for all the shows get that off the ground and also help out at the rock station, which my goal was, oh, I want to be on this rock station in some capacity. Uh, and then I also started working for Johnny again on the morning show. So I was doing morning show from about four until about uh, one and then went over to the sports station, did that to the afternoon, did the rock station in the evening and went home and did it all over again for seven days a week. And I'm not even going to go, wow, because I did the same crap. Yeah, I guess what you just got to do. I think yeah. it's great. But, you know, I'm not going to be like, dang, I can't believe you did that. No. I did it too. Yeah, you have to do Mike that. Mike D's done it. Yep. We've yeah. all done that crap. Well, Eddie hasn't. He kind of got brought in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mine was easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you were working with Johnny. Was it Johnny and Jade? Jade, yeah. Jade. I think you know who she is, right? I know, I know Jade pretty well. Yeah. She now she lives in Nashville now and works for Apple Music. Apple, yeah. Yeah. And but I know Jade through a couple different things. But, yeah, so Jade and I are, are were you guys cool? Yeah, very cool. Yeah, we still talk to this day. Cool, I like her. Yeah. If you didn't. No, we're great. I, 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 yeah, when she yeah. was here in town a year ago, before she took the gig, we went and had lunch and everything. So, yeah, so we're great. she was one of the hosts while you were what position? She was the co-host when I was intern, but then also became a person on the show, a part-time personality and so, producer. But you, were you a producer on that show? Yes. What so, did you produce? So I was the as- associate producer. So I would do kind of like what Abby does, screen calls, edit audio, get some audio on the streets, put together, you know, one sheets, all that basic yeah. stuff. Okay, so you're doing that for how long? I did that for about about a year, year and a half. And then are you going, I got to get out of here and go somewhere bigger, or did you kind of get pushed out? Uh, I wanted a full-time position. They dangled that carrot for years. You know, we'll eventually be full-time. I was working seven days a week, but only logging 29 hours. Um, and I was fine with that. Like you said, you have, to, you have to grind, and I'm totally cool with that. And then I got to a point where I wasn't going to get that full-time position anytime soon. My ex-wife at the time got the opportunity to move to San Francisco. And I knew nothing about it. I just knew it was a bigger city. It was California. It's an opportunity. Let's do it. So I quit my job. And before I quit my job, uh, I remember the moment where we were driving. We had the U-Haul packed, the car ready to go, everything to hit the road. And I went back to the Clear Channel building before my email expired. And I emailed all the PDs in San Francisco and the operations manager and said, hey, this is me, resume. I'm heading that way. Even if we can just have a conversation, coffee, whatever. Um, I have no job. I'm willing to do whatever you need. I'll do it. And then I got some responses on the drive to San Francisco. And then... Let me pause you for one second. Sure. Eddie, what's the question you want to ask him? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm listening. I, w- I want to hear... It's blue and green. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. You don't have any like side <laughs> no, questions? No, no, no. This is a good story. Comic relief? No, I'm no. good. Okay, just making sure. I want you to feel left out over there. <laughs> you made fun of my first question. I'm scarred by that. <laughs> You're driving. You get emails back. Yeah, I get emails back saying, hey, when you come to town, hit me up. Uh, I'd love to talk to you. By the way, there almost isn't a farther drive. 
Oh, it's super far. Because you're going from the bottom right, basically to the upper left. I mean, you could have gone to Seattle, I guess that'd have been further, but Seattle, Portland. But other than that, that's about as far as you can go. Yeah, and I remember the car was somebody that I sort of hate at the time. So it was a fun three to four day drive. What do you mean sort of hate? Because you weren't divorcing then. No, but we were, our relationship was sort of on that verge of things weren't going right. Like, and you still thought you wanted to move with her even though things weren't going right? Yeah, because I saw this as an opportunity to change me as a person and take me out of my hometown, which was, I love Orlando, but I wanted to grow. And I've, for me to grow, I have to go somewhere. So. so what were the emails saying as you were driving? They were just basic, just like, hey, when you get to town, hit us up. And I responded, say, no problem, I'll be there in this date. Let's lock in a date when I get to town. And, and then that happened. I talked to three different people. Uh, one of them was Kat Collins, who's a PD over there uh, at Wild 94.9, who was like the top 40 station in San Francisco. Uh, Andrew Jeffries was another one. He was just a PD at the time for Star, like a hot AC. And then Don Parker, who was the operations manager. And they're all like, hey, we don't have any gigs at the moment, but we'd love for you to come in and just, just you know, just talk. I talked to Kat for like two hours, just talking about radio and life and the move. And everyone seemed to be pretty interested in, in me taking the chance of quitting my job and moving out here with this girl in hopes that things just happen to work out. And What job did you get eventually? So eventually, Andrew Jeffries was like, hey, man, I got something for you. Um, it's not a morning show producer or anything that you were looking for, but it's an end to the building. And, and if you get in, and as you know, that's, you know, that's the ticket. You just want to get into the building, get that email, get that key card. And so he's like, hey, I have a producer position where you basically take the Seacrest show on the local end and you localize it, insert it into the system and watch the board, which is kind of funny because later in life, I end up working for Seacrest. Doing the opposite, sending the stuff. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. So how long did you do that? So I did that for about three to four months. And then there was a morning show opportunity with a guy named Don Blue uh, at Star 101.3. And I became his morning show producer. From that? And then from that, I did that for about a good two years. And then the, in the building was the JV show. who used to do this show called The Doghouse. And him and Rico needed a executive producer because they were going to start taking on affiliates. And they just had, they didn't have any organization within their show. And they needed someone to kind of help that out and plan the day and do all the day-to-day stuff. So I went on, did that. And that was a wild ride for a good three, three four years. What's wild about it? Um, the fact that those personalities... I don't know if you've ever met them before or worked with them. Um, JV is a great guy, but he's from that old school radio era of I'm going to piss you off to the absolute brink and watch you break for content. So he would like push my buttons and push my buttons and push my buttons and just wreck me. I mean, literally rip the flesh off my skin. Not literally. Not literally, but figuratively to get a reaction (laughs) out of me for whatever was going on. Like basically I was the butt of every joke for everything, no matter how hard I worked or did whatever, which at the moment I was like, God, I hate this guy. This is so ridiculous. But it made me who I am today, gave me the thick skin and gave me the tools to take it on to the next level. Ever get in an off-air screaming match with him? Uh, on air and off air. But an off air though is extremely intense. Mm-hmm. On air, you can at least a little bit of a go. That's for the show. Yeah. Like I turned it up for the show. Sure. You ever get in an off-air screaming match? Well, the problem too, a lot of our off-air screen matches, he'd press record on the Vox Pro <laughs> <laughs> and they would turn into an on-air match without even realizing or he'd, fl- or he'd flip the mics on. Like I cursed in the air three or four times. I said the F word, the S word, not knowing it, but it, just because I didn't know I was, we were live on the radio, he'd flip it on and all of a sudden I'd be telling him to go F himself and then uh, and, and there it was. Why did that relationship end? Uh, that ended because... Uh, of money and the dying need to come to L.A. at some point. So you weren't getting paid enough for what you were doing? Oh, not at all, no. Now you've established yourself as a producer, but are you going, I'm a talent. Why am I producing? Or are you like, 
dang, this producing is, who knew where it's at? Well, I think it was a combination of both. Because then when I went to, as I was leaving San Francisco, I made relationships in the alt format. Uh, and I was like, look, I want to track. Can I do some tracking on the side to kind of have my own creative thing? Uh, so I tracked in like Stockton, Bakersfield, small markets outside. Tracking what, what shifts? Uh, midday. Well, first it was fill-in shifts. Then when I got to the Seacrest show, then I was full-time midday on a alt station. Wow. So, so I would basically wake up super early in the morning, track that midday shift, and then go over to my desk at the Seacrest studio and do my job there. Did you know, fun fact, pop-up videos, boop, that when we were doing this show, uh-huh. we really started to gain some steam, probably had about 100 affiliates. Eddie and I were also doing afternoons on a rock station. Oh, really? Under fake names, and we never said it was. <laughs> really? Right. Yeah. yeah it That's was, pretty cool. I was like a Mexican dude who had yeah. like a bad accent. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes, Mr. Bones, yes. For real? Like, yes. You just like that? So, yes. It was me uh-huh. and Cruz? At, the, at the time my assistant uh-huh. and Eddie. And it was Slappy the Wonder Boy and Zeus. And Eddie would... I was, I was Slappy the Wonder Boy. Uh-huh. And Cruz was Zeus. Zeus. <laughs> and, and Eddie was Chico. Yeah. That is so cool. Uh-huh. And we did and it forever. And we, had, we were just doing it. We were just going to my office where there's a studio and knock yeah. it out in 30, 45 minutes. We were... Yeah. While doing the Bobby Bones show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, we just did it after the shift. We'd walk in and... We thought it was hilarious, and we would play. We'd play all <laughs> rock music. Ooh, this is a good one, Bones. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> I like this one. It's Slappy the Wonder Boy. Oh, 93.3. Zeus, how you feel? Oh, this one's really good. No, you're Chico. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Zeus. <laughs> Zeus would be like, yeah, I like it, Bones. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty rad. That's really cool. So we did that for a while. I like that. Uh, just okay, pop-up videos over. Um, so <laughs> you, you want to go to L.A.? Yes. Do you have a job first? No, so I quit that job as well. Um, and at that point, I was with my wife. My, my, I don't want to say current wife, but my forever wife, my, my soulmate. And she had seen what this job had, had done to me, the hours that I put into it versus the compensation I was receiving and the way I was being treated. She's like, look, I support you. You want to go to L.A. I'll stay here in San Francisco with my family. And she had a good job in the city, paid really, really well. She's like, look, you go ahead and go. And if it works out, I'll come down there and meet you. If it doesn't work out, then you at least come back here and we'll figure it out. So I moved down to L.A. And within a few days, I had a connection and I got a job at Dr. Phil's show where I was running and doing PA work. Um, and that, while I was doing that, I got a phone call from a guy named Dennis Clark, who I met in San Francisco. And he's like, hey, I know you're in L.A. I heard you left. He goes, uh, he goes sit tight. I got something for you. Did you ever meet Dr. Phil? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs in the middle. Good and bad? I mean, I, this, I always hate to say about people because you just never know their mood that day. And he always seemed like he was very busy. And his goal was to get in and get out. So I can't really say I, I didn't like the guy. I just can say that he was just there. You're uh, not saying you dislike him, but you are saying you didn't like him. Yeah, it was, I was indifferent on it, yeah. Huh. But he seemed like he was just trying to do his job and go home. It okay. sounds like you didn't have a lot of time to get to know him. So. Well, that too, yeah. If we, you yeah. just would have got to know yeah. him, <laughs> But he was living up in a Beverly Hills mansion. Like, yeah. we had a different lifestyle. I was a runner, and he was the host of the show. <laughs> so Dennis Clark, who I know as well, hits you up and says, hey, we got a job for you. What's the job? And then as the supervising producer for Seacrest National Show. And I was like, holy crap, this is really cool. I'll What's entertain that, this. So it started off, and I built onto it. Was basically, it was very bare minimum. You basically took the local show, and you had a team of editors and a writer, and stripped it down, wrote pickups, approved the edits, and they shipped it out and then dealt with some affiliates. Very basic, very easy. Good paying job? It was much, it was much better than Dr. Phil's show and working in uh, San Francisco. So, yeah, it was fine. It wasn't the greatest, but it definitely paid much better. So I was cool with it. 
would you say you were thriving or just starting to do better than surviving? Um, I would say starting to do better than surviving. Because L.A. is expensive. That's the thing, too. If, if yeah. I made the salary anywhere else, I'd be great. But in L.A., it was very expensive with rent and just the cost of living was really high. Yeah, drugs. Drugs, yeah. <laughs> Hookers, prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are working with Ryan. Did our paths ever cross before you came here? There was a couple times. There was, I think, one time when you were doing thumbs Dancing up, with the Stars. Thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> uh, in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know you, so there was one time you came by. I recognized you because they were like, oh, it's Bobby. And I was like, oh, it's Bobby. And then I Googled and figured it out. And uh, what, you were, what, was it, what was I doing? Just working in the building? Well, you were, I think, in the building tracking or doing something because you were doing Dance with the Stars, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you came over, and I think you're looking for Tanya, mm-hmm. um, which that's a funny story, too, about their producer. Um, and you were, you came to the black glass room looking for somebody and you, and I guess that we were tracking a recording. And so you, you like waved and left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew that there was a moment on that show that we were trying to connect Tanya with you. No, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. Well, yeah. It wasn't going to happen, but, yeah. <laughs> but they, but she was trying to, and they were yeah, trying yeah, to, yeah, yeah. not saying you reached out for it or anything, but they were trying to make it happen. But, uh, and I was going to put it on the national show and the local producer who I think has a crush on her. Uh, he got really butthurt about it. And, and he was like, uh, take that off. We're not airing that. And I said, F him. So I put it on the national show anyways, because him and I didn't get along. We butt heads a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. So that was our first run in. First run in. The second run in was, it was actually right before I took this job, very, very close to it. We were at a hotel. I was at the bar and um, it's this hotel that's in Hollywood at the corner of right near the mall. You know, the, uh, what's that big mall? Um, Beverly Hills Mall, whatever. I don't, I don't know anyway, there's a hotel across the street from a mall, yeah. and we were over at that. We were at the bar, and it was when I was in the interviewing process before I had actually even got to you or anyone. It was just kind of behind the scenes of I may make this move. I was at the bar with some friends, and um, and you were sitting in another area, just chilling by yourself. And I look over, and they're like, and then my friend John Manuel's like, "Hey, it's Bobby." And I was like, I look over, I was like, oh, he goes, "That's a weird coincidence." And I was like, "Yeah, you should go over and say hi to him." I was like, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything." And he goes, "All right." And then we ended up walking sorted together to the elevator to go up and you went in another elevator i went in another elevator. all that happened you didn't even say hello i didn't say anything because i was like i what didn't know you loser this is who cares? creepy just dude. say hi but i didn't know you I, I was by myself just chilling somewhere you're by yourself and then i think i think it was maybe jessica at some point came over uh my, my assistant your assistant yeah, yeah exactly yeah and she came over and and did something and you like went away huh yeah, You're chilling at a hotel by yourself. What a man. weirdo! Scuba Steve didn't even say hi. Both of you guys. Well, I, I wanted to, but I felt weird. <laughs> I'm by myself all the time, but not not as much anymore. Right. But, but pre Caitlin, that's how I live my life. Yeah. They're just chilling on your phone. You give me a look like, who the hell is this guy? No, just kidding. Okay, <laughs> I'll probably give you a look like, please be my friend. <laughs> anybody, anybody be my friend. Actually, you had that thing, and I had this like gut feeling. You probably has happened to all of you before, where you're sitting there, you want to say hi to somebody. It could be anybody of any capacity, and you just have this feeling you should say it, and you should say it, and you don't say it. And I just almost like threw up and I was like, ah, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know Scuba, but he was recommended by a couple different people that I trust. And I was like, okay, great. So if Scuba flies in, we interviewed, it was fantastic. I interviewed like three or four people that all were highly recommended. And because I'd always just hired people that I knew or trained. And I was like, man, for me to grow, I need somebody that knows things other than what I know. Because I only know what I've figured out myself. And so offered it to Scuba he was like, I need more money. But also on the, on the quiet side, I was like, Scuba, just tell him you need more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't, don't take the first deal. Like, hold out. Because I knew we were going to get him, but also wanted him to squeeze him for as much as he could get. But was he available or how? No, no but that was a whole other thing. Oh, okay. He wasn't. He was working with Ryan. And so I reached out to Ryan and was like, hey, I would love to talk to Scuba. 
But Ryan's team loved Scuba so much, they didn't really want to get rid of Scuba. And so there was this whole month or so, I was like, I'd like to have Scuba. <laughs> and they were like, we don't want you to have Scuba. And finally, I was like, it would mean a lot to me because I want to elevate him. This will be literally the biggest position. Uh, finally, Ryan called. I was like, okay, you can have Scuba. But yeah, that, it, was, it was a little tight for a bit. It was, yeah. It was almost a good month and a half, mm-hmm. two months going back and forth. And I had to wait for Ryan because Ryan was on vacation at the moment. And then when he came back, and then we eventually had to, had to have the conversation over the phone, which wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to talk to him face to face because I have a lot of respect for him. And, and he really helped me out with my career at that moment and did a lot for me. And I learned a lot from him. It was pretty cool to work with Ryan Seacrest. Um, and we had that weird conversation on the phone where I kept cutting out and I would say something, you go, what's that? And I, and I, had, I had it all planned out, like bullet points of what I wanted to say. Yeah. And I had to keep saying it over and over and over. And eventually I was like, God, he's not going to get what I'm trying to say. But at, at the end, he kind of understood what he's like. Oh, so what I'm trying to hear is that you want to grow, you're looking to move your family to a different location uh, and increase your pay. I'm like, yeah, he goes, I'm totally cool with that. I hate to see you go. I love you. You work hard. You're one of the best employees on my team. But if this is what you want, I give you my blessing. And I was like, perfect. Cool. That's what I was looking for was his blessing. And then he called me and was like, yeah, fine, you can have it. I was like, thank you, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So, so I moved over, um, and here you are now. How do you feel a year? And This last year has been weird, though, so it's kind of hard to – Yeah. It hasn't been extremely normal, but it hasn't been for anyone. But you've almost spent your entire existence here abnormal. It has been. It, it, the abnormal has become normal. It's been weird because you come to the city, and it's a fun, cool city to go out and do things and check things out, and you really can't. And my wife, we have a kid, and she was pregnant – throughout this pandemic. And so I was also very paranoid about going anywhere and seeing anything. And you meet labels and people and everyone's wearing a mask. So you don't know what anyone looks like. Mm. You meet them six, seven times. It's been a really weird year, but it's been a cool year and it's helped me grow a lot as a person and as an employee. So it's been weird, but it's been cool and I'm down with it. Had another kid, got two kids now. Yeah. Um, and you talked about Dr. Phil. I talked about Ryan Seacrest. What about me? Thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're great. Your thumbs up. What's the hardest part of executive producing my show about me what's the hardest part about me about you personally about me as a talent like what's the what are you constantly like oh my god i don't know how i'm gonna get this or get him to do this or like what is the the thing that you go to your wife and complain the most about me well i don't complain to her because this is the one job i will say i haven't complained about anything because i finally found a position where i feel like okay this is like you talked about it's a great position it's a growing position it's a show that's thriving uh, there are a lot of people when I got this job, like, damn, dude, you got the position. Like, that's the show to be on because that show is growing and the company believes in it. And I've noticed that through my conference calls and meetings. This is the show the company is backing and believes in, which is great. So I made the right decision. I think one thing, um, and it's also my problem, too, is because you're someone who has done a lot of it yourself. And because you've, you know, you've even told me we had meetings before in the past, like, hey, man, there was one time I had seven Comrexes and I was running this and doing this whole thing and figuring out everything on my own. You have the, it's that kind of personality where you're like, look, this is me, this is my baby, and it's tough to let go of it. And you even preface it when I had the interview. You're like, hey, look, man, this is a group of people that we've been together for a long time. This is uh, it's gonna be tough to jump in somebody new. Everyone's been together for ten plus years. You know, you're the new guy. You got to kind of find your way in. And I found my way, and I feel like with pretty much everybody. Um, I would say everyone, yeah, except for Mike. Mike doesn't seem really like Mike me. doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not yeah. Me. it's okay though. Yeah, it's just, right. just me. Um, yeah. So it's it, been the control, the me, yeah. me going, I still need control. Yes, and I, but, I, but I'm also a person that understands that because I'm also the exact same personality type. So if I didn't have that type of personality, I'd be like, man, what the hell, dude? Why doesn't he just give me a little more control? But I understand that, and I also understand this is a long-term game, and it's a building the relationship and getting you to trust me, which I feel like that has grown over this last year of gaining some sort of trust. 
And also just letting you know, like, hey, look, I would never crap on the show. I would never ruin it. I would never do anything that would jeopardize you or this show. So I, I hope that over this next few years that we continue to grow and build on that so you can get more trust in me. And I, I understand that. I get that. I'm totally fine with that. I do feel I've gotten a little better at it, though. You have. A little bit. Yeah, in the, yeah a little bit. In the beginning, it was, I was like, damn, I'd pitch ideas or things or say stuff or even just like little things like within the show content. And I'm like, okay, all right. And I, I would beat myself down. I'm like, I get it. It's his show. This is your show. It's got your name on it. I respect that 110. percent um, So I just, for me, it's it's a it's a it's a process to to kind of just get you to really trust me to where we can have that relationship to where, all right, cool, I, I, you got it. This is your thing. I want to do like Maddie in the morning, Mike, and just walk in and everything's done. Yeah, <laughs> I think I want that, but then I can never do you that. You can't do that. Yeah, no. It's tough, and I understand that. That'd be that'd be cool. There are a lot of personalities that have that where they walk in and there's a stack of papers and it's all organized from top of show to end of show and they literally look at it, read it, and just go from one to the next, one to the next. But then those shows don't have the life that this show has. So I've also come to the understanding that that's okay that it isn't that way because this show wouldn't be where it is if, if you weren't more in control of it because this is your brand, this is your product. And I feel like the way we do it is, is actually, it's okay and it's fine and it, it works. That's better than okay and fine. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know what I mean. I mean, it, it is a mediocre. It's I admit. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> no it's, it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> you know, milk toast. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Well, okay, on the opposite, what's yeah. the best thing? The best thing, um, I would say that this show has been inclusive, and they have invited me in, and ha- not on the personal level, like teach me how to shoot a shotgun, Eddie. But <laughs> I don't hang out. <laughs> but at work. I would say this team has been more inviting and more welcoming and more open to me coming onto the show, being the guy that's the newest of this show. And that's been the coolest. And everyone has been accepting of me and, and has allowed me to come in and work with me and work well with me, which has been cool. We're going to end this on one Eddie question. Okay. Eddie, what's the one question that you'd like to ask Scoob Steve? It's Friday night. Mm-hmm. You got nothing to do. Uh. What are you ordering to eat? And what are you going to watch on TV? He starts to cry. All that other stuff doesn't do anything to him, and now he starts to get emotional. <laughs> My mom wants bumpy pasta. Um, what, uh, if I'm in this city, I don't really know what I'm eating, but if I'm eating in a city that has my food that I want, I'm eating at Little Thai Ocha in Van Nuys, California. What is that? What is that? It's, like, it's Thai, Thai food. food? Oh, Thai food. Thai food. Um, Thai food, Van Nuys, California. They got this amazing orange chicken. They got this pork, this fried pork belly with bok choy and Chinese broccoli dipped in this like amazing black sauce. I don't know what it is. It's some sort of like soy sauce mixed with hoisin sauce, a couple other things. Uh, their hot drop soup, uh, their Vietnamese coffee or tea, whatever it is. And probably watching, uh, I would say, Law and Order, um, Special Victims Unit or wow. uh, Criminal Intent. Wow. Brothers, sisters? I'm the oldest of four. I have twin brother and sister and little sister. Parents still alive? Uh, mom's alive. Dad passed away recently, but we didn't have a relationship, so. Stepdad? I uh, had three stepdads. Wow. That was, that was cool. Wow. <laughs> no, it wasn't. On the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, yeah. wow. Uh, you've been married twice? Yes, This yeah. time with your forever wife? Correct, my soulmate, yeah. Soulmate. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like, Ed, did you learn something here? Yeah, man. I'm telling you, this guy's full of stories. And we're, and we're going to go on and on. And, and like in a few months, he's, you're going to find something out. And we'll be like, what? Oh, my gosh. We got to talk about this, more about this. Because that's what it is, dude. He's got all kinds of stories, like the the, man, the mansion he lived in, yeah. uh, things like that. And then 
Like, I, like even my wife the other day was just like, he really found dead bodies in his house. Like, well, not bodies, dead people. <laughs> I, I know, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, make yeah. this up. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. You can make it up, though. I just found nine dead bodies, a monkey, and uh, a talking dog. Stop yeah. it. Like how I just made that up. That's no problem. fake, though. <laughs> I came here in a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> okay. All right, Scuba Steve, thank you. Uh, follow Scuba Steve on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, not, at, not, uh-huh. they said yes. 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 Oh, you don't know my handle? It's at, <laughs> at Scuba Steve Radio. I did see the B Team Facebook page telling people to follow you the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they were Oh, like, cool. I don't, I don't do Facebook, so I don't, I don't check that out. No, no, they were. On, they have a Facebook. I don't do Facebook. <laughs> yeah. They have a Facebook group. It's okay. actually the only good Facebook group with our show because our show page is evil. Yeah, But um, they were like, everybody go follow Scuba Steve on Instagram. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, so Thank you. you. A bunch of followers. All right, that's it. Thank you very much. Scuba Steve, everybody. Bobby and Eddie's music school is now in session. Up in the morning and out to school. Coming up in a few minutes, a really cool interview that I did with Don McLean, who wrote American Pie. You know, bye bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. But I knew I was what a jam. I wonder if kids now know it, because I don't this, think so. We, we weren't alive when it came out, but we still love it and learn the words for most of it you know like after he called in or whatever I, I, I talked to my brother on the way home and I was like dude we talked to Don McClain today and he goes uh, who, who is that and I'm like my brother knows music like we do and he's like oh right right American Pie man I haven't heard that in a long time I'm like dang dude and you're a music fan maybe we need another big movie to come out and kind of put it back in there yeah, maybe well so before we talk to him and it's the 50th anniversary of the song the day the music died that that song was written about is February 3rd 1959 it was a plane crash that claimed the lives of Buddy Holly, who I love, and even have mimicked my aesthetics after. Sure. As my look, Buddy Holly and Weezer, two nerds. I was like, man, they're cool, they're nerds. I'm going to look like them. Uh, Richie Valens, the big bopper, and the pilot, Roger Peterson, which you, I guess you don't hear about because he no. wasn't famous. This year marks the 62nd anniversary of that tragedy, which means it was 12 years until the song was written. Yeah. Just doing the math here. So... The date was coined the day the music died in the lyric to that song from Don McLean. There you heard that. So the Winter Dance Party was a tour featuring, and let's play a clip of each of them. Buddy Holly, which you may know. That'll be the day yeah. when you say goodbye. Richie Valens. La Bamba, for sure. The Big Bopper. Hello, baby. Come on. Hello, baby. <laughs> yeah, this is and who else is on that tour? Oh, uh, Dion. Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. Yes, 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 yes. So Waylon, it's all four of those. But he was part of the crickets. He well, was part of. Uh, he was there, right? He was yes. in the plane. He was in the whole situation that happened yes. here. And so uh, the tour was happening. Things were not going great behind the scenes. The musicians' route had been poorly designed. They were going far out of their way to get to a show, then having to go back. They were playing as many shows as they could. They did twenty-four shows in twenty-four days. Yeah. And again, not. Routed, right. Yeah, the thing yeah. about a concert now is you try to route it in order. Yep. Because you don't want to go California, then Florida, <laughs> right. then Texas, then Maine. Yes. But this show was routed terribly. About a weekend to the tour, the heating system on the bus broke. A bunch of them, that were just the crew, the band, they had to be hospitalized because of frostbite. Mm. So this is happening. The Big Bopper, you know, hello, babe, and Richie Valens, a little, little bomba. Yeah. 
got flu-like symptoms, and so they were like, oh, man, this sucks. Everything was, like, in a bad spot. Shows weren't going great. Nobody was feeling good. They played a show in Clear Lake, Iowa. Buddy Holly, who was cold and frustrated, was like, I ain't taking the bus. Because they were going Iowa to Minnesota. He for sure was the most successful out of everyone. He's like, I Probably the most money out of everyone. Not taking the freaking bus. Yep. So he reached out to Dwyer Flying Service, and he said, hey, I'm in an airplane. So, okay, 21-year-old pilot Roger Peterson was like, all right, let's do it. And I think it was about 40 bucks a person on this flight. Yeah, back then, probably very expensive. So Waylon Jennings was initially supposed to fly, but gave up his spot to the Big Bopper, because the Big Bopper was starting to get sick. The next one, Richie Valens and this other guy, Alsop. Alsop. Tommy yeah. Alsop, right? Flipped right. a coin. Richie Valens won, but not really because the plane crashed. Yeah. So before heading to the airport, Waylon Jennings teased Buddy Holly saying, I hope your old plane crashes. Hmm. Because he was just going, being funny, like, sure. you're getting to go on this. I'll meet you back. I'm going to be cold, but I'll meet you back. Dang. But an illness kept Jennings from getting on the plane, and then a coin flip put Richie Valens on the plane. Yeah. You got, Richie Valens was a teenager, too. Yes, 17. Mm-hmm. So shortly after midnight, February 3rd, 1959, at the airport, they gathered their, their crap. They hurried up. It was snowing like yeah. crazy. At approximately 12.55 a.m., they took off from runway 17, which is now runway 18, and Dwyer watched from below as the plane lifted into the dark, wintry night, and away it went. Then three minutes later... The plane's taillights entered into uh, kind of a bad spot, vanished from sight. They called, no response. So there you go. And that was it. And I, whenever it got light, because they couldn't find it when it was dark, this Dwyer, the plane guy, right? Jerry Dwyer, the guy that was the Dwyer yes, flying service. who owned the yeah. company. He got up on a plane tried to retrace their route, hoping he would see nothing, because if you see nothing, maybe it got somewhere. Sure. But in a cornfield less than six miles northwest of the airport, he saw the wreckage. Debris had been scattered more than 500 feet across the field. Um, the music, as they now say, had died. I haven't seen this, but I've heard that in the Rock and Roll Museum in Seattle, I believe, uh, they have Buddy's glasses that were found there. And oh, then there really? are a, a lot of artifacts that they took from kind of the plane crash site, whatever. Mm. They, they still have, but... Um, I mean, dude, I've, re- I've just kind of... Of course, I'm a music fan. I've looked into a lot of this stuff, and I've seen autopsy reports pretty crazy. Just like just reading autopsy reports, How looking at the timeline. that of a plane crash? It's, it's just available. I think through the years, people have just been wanting to know more about the plane crash and what had happened and all that and what they found when they... They got there, so I've I've definitely read a lot about this stuff. Buddy Holly released three albums in his lifetime. He had one number one song, "That'll Be the Day," which you'll hear right here. Well, he had a couple of that were top three hits, like oh, yeah. "Peggy Sue." Peggy Sue. <laughs> yes. Peggy Sue. Every day from Buddy Holly. Here you go. That's probably my favorite. Day, yeah. It's a little closer, going faster than a road. Oh boy. This is a jam. Yeah. All of my love, all of my kissing. You don't know what you've been missing. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> that reminds me of La Bamba the movie. Uh, crying, waiting, hoping was good. Oh, so good. Waiting, hoping you come back. Mike, do you know these songs? I do know these songs. Uh, also, it's the 42nd anniversary of Richie Valens' death. Yeah. 
So I'll tell you a little bit about just kind of going down memory lane of Richie Valens. Obviously, I wasn't alive, but, uh, you know, I didn't realize that his career only lasted for about two years. He got signed really young. I think he was um, 15 when he signed with Delphi Records. And it was tricky because his name was Ricardo Valenzuela was his birth was his birth name. And they were like, you know, hey, dude, we're going to have to change your first name one to Richie because they're just a lot of... Uh, you know, Richie's right now. Like, I guess Little Richie was around, was around at that time. Yeah, Little Richard. And But there aren't any Richies. A lot of Richards. So so we're going to go with Richie on that one. And then Valenzuela, they shortened to Valens to not really. So they can take away his demographic. They feared that if he came out as a Hispanic American, and it would be Ricardo Valenzuela, only the Hispanics and the Latinos in America would like him. So he's like, let's get everyone to like you, and we'll just change your name to Richie Valens. And from watching the movie, you know, uh, which was really big in the 80s, uh, it seemed like he wasn't cool with that, but he went with it because he knew he had to do it if he was going to be a rock and roll star. But it's good, dude. So uh, he signed with them. And then, of course, he had uh, his first song, Come On, Let's Go. That was his first hit. Oh, yeah. I know that one. Right? Yeah. What else you got? Then he wrote Donna after a girl, which was baller, dude. You write it, you write it after a girl that you like. You sing it to her, and then that's that was his girl, his last girlfriend. Yeah, that's a good one. And obviously his biggest one. Obviously the biggest hit, La Bamba, which was huge because he took a, a Mexican folk song and turned it into a rock and roll smash. Like, there was a, this isn't the version. The version of La Bamba that everyone knew at that time in the 50s was very folklorico is what they call it. And it's just very acoustic guitar. La Bamba, La Bamba, you know, like. So he made it a rock and roll jam, and America loved it. And uh, it was awesome, dude. And he, he was really flying. And it's just so sad that he died at age 17 when he was really on a roll to just becoming a big star. Obviously, we don't know what he could have done, how long that he would have been a star. But uh, sad to see him, you know, with these three songs that had some good success and then nothing. Well, I'm obviously a big Buddy Holly fan. Uh, shout out Lubbock, Texas, obviously. Uh, and you're a big Richie Valens. I wish we had somebody to speak up for the big bobber here. I know. Mike. Uh, Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, baby. All right, so that's music school. It's just good to know that in case you didn't know that because when you hear Don McClain talk about stuff, sure. there's a point of reference there. One of that. the things Don talked about that was really surprising to me was that uh, Buddy was kind of a has-been at that point. Like he hadn't hit. Well, let people hear it. This interview hasn't even happened yet. I thought it was before this. No. <laughs> well, hey, when you're listening, listen for that part. You'll right, be shocked you too. Go. This is, uh, by the way, check out the Sore Losers. That's Eddie's sports podcast. Yes, this week we have uh, Chris from Locash on. He's actually going to the Super Bowl, so he talks a little bit about that. How he gets to go to these cool games. Uh, amazing athletes that he's met before and cool stories. And when I asked him, I said, "Do you would you freak out more with famous musicians or famous athletes?" <laughs> and he's a musician. He goes, "No, athletes for sure." <laughs> and I'm like, "That's crazy. You're a musician, but he loves athletes. He loves sports." So check out the sore losers. That's what's up. All right, thank you. Class dismissed. That was Bobby and Eddie's music school. Hey Don, how are you? Fine. How are you? Hey, pretty good. Uh, big day celebrating 50 years. I mean, when you look back at something, obviously that is so iconic with with your song. But if, does 50 years seem like yesterday, or does it seem like literally forever ago? Both of those things. It, it's uh, it's forever and it's yesterday. It's, 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 there you go. Yesterday is forever. You just wrote another one, Don. 50 years from now, we're gonna be singing that back. <laughs> How do you spell your name? B-O-N-E. Okay, I'll make this sure I put that on there. Yeah, yeah, put that on there. <laughs> hey, so 
to me, I talk to a lot of songwriters, I have a lot of songwriter friends, and some songs sure. they can literally remember when they're in the room, and some songs that are big hits, they can't. And they're like, you know what? I wrote so many songs, I don't quite remember that. With American Pie, can you still see yourself in the room, you know, coming up with ideas, putting pen to paper? Yes, I have a very good memory of a lot of stuff like that, uh, almost like a child. Um, I know exactly what I was doing. I was sitting in a little chair that had rockers on it, and I used to rock in this little room, and I, it was a, a schoolroom chair made out of oak, and I have a little typewriter, and I type on it. And so that's probably where I typed the song up in that little room in Cold Spring, New York, where I wrote a lot of songs. Do you finish and go, I think we got something here that is going to have a heavy commercial appeal? Or do you go? No, I, I don't ever think that. Never. So when did you no. first get that feedback to where they're like, man, there's something to this, not just commercially, but culturally? I Time passed, but I can tell you from the very beginning, the song was a phenomenon. Um, I, had a, I had a year which where I was almost like the Beatles. Uh, everywhere I went, I was on the news. Um, audience were, would swoon, girls would pass out. I had, uh, I really had that sort of um, teen idol thing uh, for about a year, I would say, uh, because of the song. And then there was a sort of uh, backlash against it. Um, Rolling Stone wrote a lousy review and tried to destroy my career, but they couldn't stop the song. It kept going and going and going, and it, I kept going. And um, 50 years passed. I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've had several comebacks. This is one of them right now. Yes, and I'm glad to be a part of it, Don. I always love a good comeback story. Yeah, I've got quite a few. Um, the song comes in at a little, little more than eight minutes. I, mean, I was looking at some, some chart data here. I'm always impressed by people that, that kind of set standards and break records. And it's the longest song to ever hit number one on the pop chart. Now, with it being eight minutes... Did you guys plan to fully go all eight minutes in, or did you have a shorter version in case it wasn't getting played on no, radio? I, 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 as I told you already, I don't think about commercial things. I just did it, and I presented what I do, which every real, um, most groups uh, that are important or singers that are important really create what they do, and either the record company likes it or they don't. Um, so in my case, I do a lot of different things, you know, and I love you. So is a very popular song, the most recorded song I ever wrote, but a lot of people don't even know I wrote that song. Uh, my version of crying, which was number one, and people hear that a lot, probably don't even know it's me. Um, so I do a lot of different things, but the song artistically had to be the length that it was in order to completely satisfy the story that I was telling. So I gave the album to them. They loved the album. They loved the song. They immediately didn't even ask me. They cut it down to two and a half minutes, put it on the radio. It went to number one. And then people bought the album, and then they started to play the full version, and that went to number one. Back February 3rd, 1959 is the date that is the day the music died after, you know, uh, Buddy Holly, who I'm a massive fan of, obviously the big bopper, Richie Valens. Can you vividly remember that day? I know you talk about it in the song, but do you remember that yeah. day and going, man, I really should do something with this at some point? No, I never thought about doing anything with anything. I just, I'm all heart. That's all I am. I, I'm very sentimental. It was a painful uh, thing for me. I was 13 years old and I was the first 
you know, personal death I had ever experienced, except maybe for a cat or a dog. And um, it stayed with me and for forever. But I remember that nobody really cared. I went to school. I said, Buddy Holly died. And they said, well, so what? You know, he hadn't been on the charts in two years. Uh, it wasn't a big deal. Now, of course, you know, if that story was a big story in Texas, a whole different thing. He was their boy, you know. And uh, But in America, we didn't look back in those days. If somebody died, that was it, you know, and you moved on. And you didn't spend this time mourning and remembering and going back and over and over. But American Pie is the ultimate song of mourning, really. Mourning the country, mourning him. And that's partly what's resonates with people in this country now and also perhaps even created part of the reason why the country is the way it is. I don't know. But there is a need to hold on to things. Uh, we've been through a war and a depression and there's a lot of things that were lost. So you didn't hold on to the death of a rock and roll star who was off the charts for two years. Uh, we didn't hold on to things like that. You moved forward and you sucked it up and forgot about it like they do in Israel. Uh, but, you know, all of a sudden now we're always talking about Elvis and Marilyn. And, and you know, I even have a song about George Reeves, uh, Superman. You know, he's one of the secondary deaths, you know, that now and then get talked about. But, uh, no, I had uh, somebody called this day on the 3rd of February, the day that music died. And that stuck. And I'm so happy about that because to have my song and something that I did... Um, be part of this monumental day. Uh, and it's the death of this monumental singer. And let's not sell short uh, Richie Valens, who was 17 years old and was already making hit records. And we have a lot of um, Spanish people in our country now that come from Mexico and South America. And they're terrific, terrific, hardworking people. And he's their guy, you know, and those records linger on. Donna is really one of the great uh, hit songs of the 50s. This is unforgettable once you hear it. So, you know, Buddy was the template for all the rock bands that came later. It wasn't like Elvis. Elvis had a, a choral group behind him in the form of the Jordanaires, but Buddy had the double guitars and the whole thing the Rolling Stones do. And he wrote 60 songs maybe, and every one of those is a hit. And I don't think John Lennon, Paul McCartney, or anybody else has done that. I have two more questions for you. Uh, I'm just very appreciative to be talking with you. I read this online, and I know everything online is not true. Some things about myself get written. It's not true. But I read <laughs> that you make half a million dollars per year in just royalties on this song. I make a lot of money on all my music from all over the world, and I don't know how much money I make from that song. If it's used uh, in a major advertisement in a sync license, it could be more than that. Um, it's I have... 200 songs that are played in um, 92 countries every day. It's a lot of songs in a lot of places. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, one other thing, you know, growing up as a kid, I was a big Weird Al fan. When he parodies your song, yeah. do you get to hear it first and do you get irritated with it? Well, no, I love these things when they're done well. And Al does everything well. Um, and he's a terrific guy. Um, I loved it. And I couldn't believe what a great recording it was and how funny it was. And he's, he's a, you know, he's just a, 
uh, a good guy and a, and a good-hearted guy, and uh, he's, he does a something that is just purely entertaining and and uh, and fun. And I love him. I mean, and I was very happy, and I was honored that he did that. Mention a few things that you have going on here. Uh, the feature-length documentary, "The Day the Music Died," the story behind Don McLean's "American Pie," set for release at the end of 2021. He'll be featured on a new recording of "American Pie" with the country group Home Free. And then tell me about this new stage play that, because you have so many great songs. Um, so, what's happening with that, and what's that going to be? Well, the same people that did the um, Carol King. Uh, Broadway show I have a contract with now and uh, they put money into this uh, they're going to do this and it's going to be uh, one of these kind of songbook shows you know with a lot of my songs and a storyline supposedly and probably about uh, my journey um, as this children's book is also about me as a child um, so everything I do is personal so no matter how much you might like any song of mine, it always comes back to some event in my life. And in the case of American Pie, of course, it starts with me being a paper boy. And I, I, it's the only job I ever had in my life was as a paper boy. So um, that's the personal part that's in the song. Don McLean, one of the most respected songwriters in American history. Thank you for sharing your story. Good luck. Sounds like you got so much going on. Heck, 200 countries right now jamming to Don McLean hits. Can't get enough of that, baby. <laughs> Swing it. All right, Don. Good to talk to you, bud. All right. Thank you. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.